you're listening to the rpetshealth.com podcast and I'm your host Dr Alex Avery. On this show I bring you pet health discussions that allow you and your pet to live a healthier happier life. Remember too you can call into the show on the anchor.fm app if you have any comments or questions. So let's get started. Painkillers in pets are crucial in many conditions to help them remain comfortable in this video, I've run through all you need to know about the most common anti-inflammatories in dogs and cats, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex from ourpetshealth.com, helping you and your pet to live a healthier, happier life. So if you're new to this channel, consider subscribing and hitting that bell notification to make sure you don't miss out on any future videos just like this one. So our non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which are also known as non-steroidals and NSAIDs, are the most commonly prescribed painkiller in dogs and cats. They are used as painkillers to reduce inflammation and swelling, and also to reduce a high temperature. Now, while there are many different options for painkillers in dogs and cats, none of the others have all these effects. Now, the most common use of non-steroidals in dogs and cats is in the management of chronic pain conditions, such as arthritis, as well as for pain relief following injury or surgery. Now, these drugs also have some anti-cancer effects, and this is an area of use where research is ongoing and recommendations are changing. There are many different drugs within the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory class, including carprofen, meloxicam, furacoxib, and mavacoxib, to name but a few. These are then sold under many different trade names, with the most common or most well-known maybe being Rimadyl, Metacam, Prevacox, and Trecoxil. Again, though, there are lots and lots of these. So our non-steroidal anti-inflammatories work by stopping the enzymes from working that make pro-inflammatory chemicals known as prostaglandins. So these prostaglandins cause swelling, they cause an increase in temperature, as well as actually amplifying the pain signal that's sent to the brain by the local nerves. So the enzymes that are blocked are known as the COX enzymes, specifically COX-1 and COX-2. So COX-1 is actually responsible for the function of normal, healthy body processes. These include maintaining the intestinal lining and ensuring an adequate blood flow to the kidney. Blocking COX-1, therefore, can result in upsetting normal body functions and so potentially causing the side effects that I'll discuss a little bit later. Now, COX-2, however, is the enzyme that goes into action whenever damage takes place and so results in the production of these pro-inflammatory prostaglandins. This then results in pain and inflammation. So this is important to know because we want to make sure that we reduce pain and inflammation, but at the same time, we want to reduce the risk of side effects. In other words, we want our drugs to block COX-2 and not COX-1. So most readily accessible human NSAIDs do not do this in dogs and cats. And as a result, side effects are really common when these are given to our pets. Our pet-specific anti-inflammatories, however, are considered COX-2 preferential or COX-1 sparing, meaning that they have a much more specific action on the things that we want, while at the same time having less of effect on normal body function, and so reducing the risk of side effects. This is different though um, between species. So an example would be that Remedil is much more COX-2 preferential in dogs compared to cats, which is why we don't really use it in cats. So this brings us to the potential side effects of these drugs. Now, as you can imagine from the way they work, the most common side effect is a mild gastrointestinal upset, resulting in diarrhea um, and vomiting, as well as maybe lethargy and inappetence. Now this appears to happen in about two to 9% of patients, probably about 5% on average, um, with reports varying slightly. 
If treatment is continued despite vomiting or diarrhea being present, then there is a risk that this will develop further into intestinal ulceration, um, and this can then progress further into perforation, which obviously can be catastrophic. It's also worth noting that the newer drugs haven't consistently been shown to be significantly less likely to produce side effects um, than our older drugs. Although certain individuals definitely do seem to do well on one particular version of a non-steroidal when another one did cause side effects. So if your dog has had side effects with one, then trying another is very much a sensible idea. And this seems to relate very much to individual rather than specific drug. Other side effects do happen, although thankfully they are considered rare. Dogs are more prone to liver damage, which occurs in maybe around one in 2,000 patients. I mean, it's generally reversible so long as it is detected early enough and the damage is not too severe. Now, cats, on the other hand, are more prone to kidney damage. And while this can happen following a single injection, kidney damage is actually very rare when our non-steroidals are used appropriately. Interestingly though, there are a couple of reports of cats with existing kidney disease that also had arthritis and actually doing better when given meloxicam compared to those not treated with this drug. An even smaller percentage of patients will develop clotting problems um, as these drugs can affect platelet function and so reduce the ability of the blood to clot. So for a full rundown on the safety of these drugs in both cats and dogs, then make sure you check out my dedicated videos linked below, which also then go on to discuss how to reduce the risks of side effects happening in your pet. Now, one of the big ones is to give these drugs with food, which may reduce the likelihood of intestinal upsets. And then any patient being given these drugs should be monitored at home for side effects. And if there are any concerns, then they should be stopped and your vet consulted. So as well as vomiting and diarrhea, symptoms to look out for include a reduced appetite, stopping drinking or drinking more, lethargy, weakness, yellow or white gums, urinating a lot and weight loss. As well as looking out for these symptoms, it's also advisable for any dog or cat taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, especially on a regular basis, to have blood and urine testing carried out regularly. This will vary between patients, um, but a suggested schedule might include a pre-treatment blood sample, another test run two to four weeks later, and then repeat testing every three to six months or so. Running these tests may help to pick up any liver or kidney damage early, and so minimizing the chance of any serious and significant ongoing side effects from happening. These drugs should also be used cautiously in patients with pre-existing chronic disease, such as liver disease and kidney disease, as well as those patients on a number of other drugs, um, and these might include things called ACE inhibitors, aspirin, steroids, and diuretics, such as fruzamide um, and also phenobarbitone. Now, having said that, it can be really difficult in some cases to balance all of the needs of our senior patients, especially those with multiple conditions. I really believe though that where a patient is in chronic pain, such as with arthritis, it's just not acceptable to ignore this because of a slight increased risk of side effects. So there may be other appropriate drug options depending on your pet, but quality of life, it should really not be ignored. Um, and I discuss this in more, more detail in my video on drug treatment and arthritis linked below. So I really hope today's topic has helped you. Please call into the show at anchor.fm. I would really love to hear from you. If you'd like more information on anything I've discussed, then head over to ourpetshealth.com. And if it's your first time listening, also think about signing up to my website newsletter to make sure that you never miss out on future content and allow me to continue to help you and your pet to live healthier, happier lives. So until next time, I'm Dr. Alex from Our Pets Health, because they're family.